Hi, and welcome to Journal Club. I am Bobby Connor, and today we are going to be talking about uh, the development and validation of hemangiosarcoma likelihood prediction model in dogs presenting with spontaneous hemoabdomen the HELP score. Um, with me today is Dr. Sam Campos, who is also a veterinary emergency critical care specialist, and uh, she's she's going to help us kind of walk through this and, and have a discussion on uh, the article, which is in the Journal of Veterinary Emergency Critical Care, uh, issue 29. Authors for this one um, are Drs. Schick, Hayes, Singh, Matthews, Higginbotham, and Sherwood. Apologies if I got any of those wrong. Um, so, Dr. Campos, welcome. Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Um, so, yeah, this this paper, basically, the, the point of it was to look at, well, they, they designed, basically, and then validated this model, um, looking for, like, a prediction model for hemangiosarcoma in dogs that were presenting with a non-traumatic hemoabdomen. And so it was uh, retrospective in nature. They used about five different centers a, a good number of dogs, so for a veterinary study, 406 dogs with non-traumatic hemoabdomen were used um, in the study that underwent a surgical explorer necropsy and received a histologic diagnosis. Those were the dogs they were using to kind of draw this, this model for. Um, overall, 219 dogs from the three centers provided the data for the model construction, and then they used 187 dogs from two centers um, to kind of validate the model, which was pretty cool. Um, and so they they made this the score model based on different predictors, so body weight, total total plasma protein, platelet count, and thoracic radiographs. And then they had these low risk, medium risk, and high risk groups, and they kind of compared um, the risk, the risk, if you will, of hemangiosarcoma in those groups, and found that in the low risk group it was lower, around like 36%. Um, the medium risk group around 76%, and then higher, 96% in the in the, the high risk groups. Um, and so they concluded that the the risk of hemangiosarcoma in dogs presenting with a non traumatic hemoabdomen could be predicted using their scoring system, which may aid in identification and treatment of dogs. Um, especially those at a lower risk for the for a diagnosis of hemangiosarcoma. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, one of the main things we were going to kind of bring up first was the 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 model that they built, and then they decided to to validate it with dogs from a different from a different hospital. Yeah, that's so cool and and so important. I actually the amount of work that went into this is is impressive in and of itself um, uh, because we have seen in veterinary medicine before people do kind of weird things with um, creating these scores and and validating them. Sometimes like on the same cohort of dogs that they created the score with, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, you can imagine how difficult it can be to create, you know, using a couple hundred dogs to create the score and then a couple hundred to validate it. But, um, you know, go teamwork when you have multiple <laughs> centers. And, and it was retrospective, which is easier certainly to collect those numbers, but it's also harder to collect those numbers and have all the information you need to, to actually create a score like this. Um, but, um, you know, this, I think it gets to one of those questions that as clinicians, you know, plagues us. You have a dog that comes in, spontaneous hemoabdomen. Okay, tell the client it's going to be, you know, between three and $6,000, whatever, depending on where you work, maybe more, maybe less. But, um, and this is what you're going to have to pay uh, to save your dog for years or maybe a couple of months. Um, there's a high likelihood it'll be a couple of months if it has hemangiosarc. Uh, so, of course, they say, well... I want to find out if it does and go, yeah, that'll be three to $6,000 <laughs> to find out if it does. Um, make the decision. Now you have 10 minutes. That sucks yeah. for, you know, clients and, and for us. So I, I certainly understand and can get behind the desire to want to create a score like this, but scores like this inherently kind of have their issues, which um, we'll talk about. But um, 
what were your thoughts, uh, Dr. Campos, on just the the parameters that are in this score? Yeah, um, so I, I'm trying to find that. I, I keep losing the like the they, they went from zero to 100 on the scoring um, the scoring list, with the low risk being around zero to 40, the medium risk being 41 to 55, and the high risk being um, those with a score of greater than 55. Um, kind, I guess the things that I uh, in my mind kind of saw as an association were like the general patient size, because in general, like the large breed dogs, like every ECC clinician is picturing the golden that walks in that's mm-hmm. like find find the you know the hemangio right um so that didn't really surprise me though they did have that comment that the um there was a strong association between breed and hemangio sarc um but then kind of like when they took that out and just meant to use the body weight that also the the predictive value of the breed was lost but they still found the correlation with a higher body weight being more likely for them to be in that that high group right um the I guess the the PCV platelet count. Um, what were the other things they were looking well, at here? Yeah, total just to remind everybody. Yeah, body weight, total plasma protein, platelet count, and findings on thoracic radiographs. Those were the four, right? Those are the four yep. Yep. factors or, or parameters that they they used to create the score. After they collected a lot of other things um, based on previous studies, but that's the four that they came up with for their score. That's what I found, which like, was sort of interesting. The, the protein was to me was strange because yeah. either way they have a hemoabdomen. I kind of. Expect them to be, you know, in a certain like. So I, I, I don't know that that I think is the strangest one. To, yeah. to me. Uh, but it's it's been found in other studies as well as, as to potentially correlate with with some of these things. And so um, the physiology behind that, I, I agree, I don't fully understand. But maybe there's something with hemangiosarcoma itself that that affects plasma protein. I I, I can't just come up with an obvious reason for that in my head, but I'm glad that's the one you said, because that's the one that kind of, the platelet count makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I get that. Absolutely. Um, you know, maybe more likelihood for DIC or other consumptive processes if it's cancer versus just a regular bleed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the, you know, findings <laughs> in the chest radiographs, like, mm-hmm, yep, that one is, is, is not a surprising, um, but I, an important one. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that you have to be a little bit careful with those. And then again, as you said, body weight um, sort of makes sense um, to us as well. If I have a chihuahua that comes in with a hemoabdomen, even an older one, I'm going to be like, hmm, that's, that's not my first thought. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the plasma protein was the head scratcher for me. Uh, and then the, the scores themselves. So, you know, coming up with these, this is, this is always a tough thing because you want to find a category of dogs that will give you a, a meaningful score. So you've got 36% chance of having hemangiosarcoma if you're in the low risk group, uh, 75 or almost 76% chance of having hemangiosarcoma in the medium risk, and then up to almost 96% in the high risk group. So what do we do with that information? That is the question. Um, and that's the thing, too, is that, I mean, you, you have those breakdowns of the low risk being scored 0 to 40, the medium risk being one point over. So, you, you know, you're a four, you go from a 41 to a 40, your risk goes from, from 36% to 75.7%, or from that 75%, if you're going to the, the high risk, the 95%. You know, percent. And I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I can't say myself in a room clinically going, you know, the, the typical story is, of course, like, you know, it, it, there's a 70 to 80%-ish chance that your, your pet could have a, a really scary form of cancer that doesn't give him much time. Do you want to move forward? If now I'm, quote, like, calculating this, <laughs> this uh, I'm putting them into a, a, a grouping, if I tell an owner 95 versus the typical 70 or so percent, is that going to change something for the owner that still wants to go ahead and do this? I, I don't know. And you still need the histopath to, to call yeah. it. I, I don't know. This is this is what I always find tough in these predictive scores, and and they they comment in the paper 
um, that you know these types of predictive scores are used fairly commonly in various diseases in human medicine, and and that and that's true. Um, but I also think that makes sense, and there's a I think a danger in using them full stop for anything in veterinary medicine, but in particular when euthanasia is on the table. Right. That's what I struggle with. And now, having said that, I, you know I, I certainly don't. I don't, I don't judge anybody or look down on anybody who decides to euthanize their own dog who, you know, comes in in a situation and is told, hey, there's a, a 70% chance this could be cancer. You know, I, I think one thing that's important, you know, particularly for our residents to remember that those numbers are meaningless for the individual, yep. right? The dog in front of you either has hemangiosarcoma or does not have hemangiosarcoma. We do not currently have a pre-op way of determining which category your dog is in. But it, I mean, it's in a sense, the way I think about it, and it's, you know, statistically not right, but in, in a sense, I think of every dog as a coin flip, right? Or Schrodinger's cat, or whatever. It either, it can't mm -hmm. have both. It cannot be both. Um, it either has it or it doesn't. I don't know which. And so even in this 96% class, right, that 96 or, you know, 96, 5.7 dogs out of 100 have hemangiosarcoma with this presentation, but that's four dogs that don't have it, which is two out of 50 dogs, which is one out of every 25 dogs that presents with a spontaneous hemoabdomen in that highest risk class doesn't have hemangiosarcoma. Now, if money's not an issue for the clients, eh, do we really want to euthanize a dog that doesn't have hemangiosarcoma? Of course, none of us do. None of us want to euthanize that dog. Are we comfortable euthanizing that dog in order to not send, you know, uh, you know, 12 other dogs to surgery for clients who maybe can't quite afford it or could stretch, but it's just like, ah, uh, you know, to get two or three months of, of, you know, what is actually often good quality time yeah. with their dog, but that, that's a big investment for people, um, for a handful of months when some might say, you know what, Hey, he's got some arthritis in his hips and this, and it, you know, there's obviously multifactorial reasons why people make those decisions. I just, I want to urge caution when you're applying population statistics to an individual, because there's a there's a danger in that, um, and that was probably my my biggest criticism um, of this paper, because I think the study was really well designed yeah. and and really well executed. Um, it, it you know includes a lot of information, and it and it tries to get to the point of helping us, but it just that for me these are these are a struggle um, because I I'm very wary of using this type of information to help guide clinical decision making it when it comes to euthanizing or not. And yet I think a lot of clients will hear 96% chance of cancer and make the decision yeah. to euthanize. And, and that's reasonable when you hear that. 76% chance. A lot of people will euthanize yeah. based on that. Now, what about the 36%, you know, two out of three dogs don't have cancer, but one in three dogs mm -hmm. in that group, a little bit more than that, have hemangiosarcoma. Are we going to be doing the opposite in that group and talking people into going to surgery who may... I, I feel like for me, my speech is going to be the same after this yes, came out. I agree. And I it, yeah, I, what, you know, kind of what's your spiel when you talk to, um, I think I'm, my discussion with owners is, um, uh, so I, I, again, I usually, I usually we're all doing kind of fast scans on them. I, even if I see something, um, again, I'm, I always, I'm not a radiologist. 
never will be. Um, <laughs> so I always make the comment that, you know, there, there's, you know, something that's bleeding in their belly. We have a conversation of what that could be, um, kind of the range of things. And then I, I usually, I usually do give them like a 70%, but I'm like, but you know, you could be either way. We yeah. don't know without, without histopath. And then the owners are asking for any other way we can decide before. Yep. And the, of course, then becomes the discussion of doing ultrasound or. Can, since CT, you brought that up, yeah. can I tell and you I my walk favorite? Into a trap? No, yeah. can I tell you my <laughs> favorite line in this whole article? Cause yeah. there's at least one surgeon on this. I know Kyle Matthews yes. from NC yeah. State. Um, was my, my favorite line from the whole article was that um, basically saying that um, identification of multifocal disease on abdominal ultrasound and red blood cell morph morphologic changes have not been found to be predictive. And I, yep. like, I want to underline that and shout it and like yep. tattoo it on my residents' foreheads and be like, uh, and actually maybe more more the surgeons here than the, the residents' foreheads, right? It's like we spend you know time and money doing an ultrasound and it's been shown that it doesn't tell you if they have hemangiosarcoma yeah. or not. So if given the choice between doing an ultrasound and using this score, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say let's use this score. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you still just have to get the histopath. Yeah. Um, so that was my favorite part of the article that they they put that in there. Yay. <laughs> and that's even the thing too with like um I mean with opening and exploring sometimes there'll there'll be nodules on the liver like these are these are older dogs they're going to have they're going to have things that have been going on. So the question of what is what is what? I mean, yeah. let the tissues decide, I guess, but And again, none of us want to euthanize a dog that doesn't have hemangiosarcoma. We're also trying to help clients out. I, yeah. I do understand that. Um but uh, again, I, I, it's just it to me. It's such a personal. I mean, I, maybe I'm thinking about it more because my dog's hitting 12 years old now that I'm like uh, visioning the different ways that she might go, and so I go back and forth about whether I'd actually whether I would cut yeah. her for like a GDV. I've already decided we're going to do it versus like a <laughs> you have like, do you have like a list? <laughs> a list, yeah. In case <laughs> we'll put like, it in her out of town, not yeah. on a plane, not reachable. These are the you this, know. yes, this yeah. I, I don't know which way. It, it's such a. I don't know. To me, it's such a personal decision that you can't uh -huh. just even just science it out with stuff like no. this because there is like th there's the financial aspect of it, and then there's like the emotional recovery yep. of, of these dogs and and what that entails next. And uh, the other thing that I, when it comes to that, because it's really funny, because I think a lot of especially veterinarians do think like, what would I do? Because clients ask you, yeah. what would you do? And yeah. you're like, well, I've never actually been in that situation most of the time, and uh, and I. Th think I know what I would do, but I also know a lot of veterinarians and non-veterinarians who say, I always said if I was in this situation, I would do this. And then when it happened to me, I didn't do it. Right. I couldn't make that decision. So <laughs> I know what I think I would do in that situation. But, you know, when push comes to shove, you're in that situation. Like you said, it's a very personal decision. A lot of times it's a gut decision. Um, but the, our clients are... The, we can't get away from the fact that they're asking us for help. You know, and, and like you can honestly, I mean, everyone, every vet knows this. It sounds terrible, but you can, you can lead an owner to whatever decision you yep. want to. Like we have a lot, yeah. a lot of power in that room. We're talking yeah. to them. And so I think the way you persuade it, and especially if you're presenting this, you know, up 95%, like we are going to have, I think more owners who are saying, all right, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down that road then. On the flip side, if you don't tell them that, right, if you don't tell them about this, cause you can do the other thing and we know we can, we can do the same thing. Hey, you know, there, there's a there's a decent chance that um, you know this isn't cancer and you, this could be curative. We take the spleen out and your dog is cured and it goes on and, and it does really well. So we it's really hard for us to I think as, as veterinarians to objectively present this. We yeah. always put our own flavor yeah. onto it. Um, but you know my spiel, what I tell people is, look, here's the thing. There's no way for me to tell you right now whether or not your dog has cancer. There's a decent chance your dog has cancer and that it's a particularly nasty type of cancer, right? Um, I want you to make this decision hoping that it's not cancer but expecting that it is, and you need to be comfortable that you could drop three, four, five thousand dollars 
and take your dog home and then lose her in three months to this bad cancer. Um, the other thing that I that factors in for me, again, more on like kind of the, this is the emotional side, not the, the fact thing, but I ask people when, when I've had the opportunity, either because it's someone I knew, a colleague or a friend who did this, you know, sent their dog to surgery and then yeah. comes back in three months later yep. for the alienation. And I say, are you, are you glad you, you made the again? decision? Yeah. And almost every time they say, yeah, yeah, I'm glad I did. Even when they come back two months, three months later to euthanize their dog, they say, yep, I, I had a good two, three, because it is a good two to three. They it's, do feel that, great That's the thing afterwards. is they, even like my, um, so Rachel, like her, her dog, uh, yeah. one of our previous residents here, she did the surgery on her dog and, and she's convinced even though he had an ultrasound, I think like two months before, mm-hmm. he was still not his, his self at that point in time. She's like, we didn't have evidence of things, but something was going on with him then. We took out his spleen and he's a new dog. And since that day, he's been a new dog. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think he, they're two months out, but like they wouldn't. And it was they, hemangiosarcoma? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But like, exactly. It's not just that they're bleeding. They're, they have cancer in their body yep. and that's going to have who knows what effects. So yeah, the majority of people I know who have agreed to take their dog to surgery and then later found out it was hemangiosarc and the clock is ticking and that's, you know, that's always very sad, but they're happy for the time they have yeah. almost invariably. Um, you know, there's going to be exceptions of course, but, um, so sometimes, you know, I tell people that, look, this, I've never been in the situation that you're in. I'm fortunate not to have ever had to make that decision myself. Um, but most people are, are comfortable with that. Having said that, I'll be honest, I don't think I would. And I think I wouldn't take my dog to surgery if it, you know, unless it's like a three-year-old chihuahua, I guess, who doesn't <laughs> fit uh, the mold. But like if it's an older dog and I think I would be the kind of person who would then stare at that dog and be like, is it today? Is it today? Is it today? When's, when's it going to go south? Yeah. I think personally I would you know, I'm always like, I want him to go out on, on a good day, not have, you know, months of, uh, you know, horribleness. And, but that's not really very logical either because they have good, they, they feel right. good. Right. So I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Um, but I don't feel I like still, I still this haven't paper made my changed decision it for, for me. My dog. Yeah. I, still, I still have no idea. It's that's open. the hard part. Again, I think this is a really well designed and executed study, but I don't know that it, it ultimately makes a big change um, in what I would do or what I would say to clients. No, I, I I agree. I don't think it's gonna change the the spin I put on it. The the risk is there. We don't know. We either need to take the chance or we need to call it now. Kind of kind of deal. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So. All right. I think I, I don't know what else we could say. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you uh, for joining us again, Dr. Campos, and um, and for you know delving into this uh, with us today. Um, thank you to the authors, um, and for contributing again. Um, you know, we, we of course have our criticisms here and there, but, um, these are all really important things to add to, to our knowledge and to the literature and, and to spur good discussion like this. And thank you for listening and, uh, and hopefully we'll talk to you next time.